are back. Hello, good evening, everyone. This is Kevin Finkel. Welcome again to the 16th episode of Magic Final Frontier. As always, we'll be discussing the Frontier format to keep our listeners up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. How are you guys doing? Doing awesome. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin Hanlon, host of the Untap Open League and Frontier Grinder. And I'm Taylor, editor and producer of Magic the Final Frontier YouTube channel and current Untap Open League Season 3 finalist. <laughs> yes, you are. All right, so we've been a little bit on and off lately. We were doing those, uh, the Rivals of Ixalan episodes that took up a quite a bit of time for our editor and for us and uh, had a great time with it, but it means we missed a few big tournaments lately. We want to do some covering of that this episode. We also want to bring up a little bit of what's changed with the meta. We want to talk about that Season 3 of the Untap Open League, something that we're looking at, as well as what the Season 4 looks like as uh, signups have closed and deck lists are now open to all participants. So you guys excited? Super pumped. <laughs> I think we can get through all of these many tournaments we haven't talked about. I think a lot of them coming out of Japan. So we'll be talking about the same weird uh, decks that are not quite as meta here, or in Toronto as we uh, when we talk to Matt. We yeah. have uh, three Jap- Japan tournaments, right? Yeah, I think we wanted to just cover the three. I think I had a fourth one, but it was a pretty small one. They've got some of the Frontier Cups that are kind of in the 20 to 30 people size, and some that are smaller some that are bigger so i think we've got some of uh some of the bigger ones here we've also got this really interesting tournament they ran last month which was a win a switch tournament there were almost 60 players there and the winner got a new nintendo switch which is pretty cool prize hurry has been good at the uh, unusual prize tournaments they had the uh i mean the very first big one that they had they gave a box of each frontier legal set at the time to the winner which i think was through kaladesh perhaps so awesome so many cards that's such a big prize <laughs> yeah i love opening packs too so like and cons of tarkir was my favorite set to draft and remains one of my favorite sets to draft so oh yeah i get to go through a whole lot of uh, drafting with if you've got a box of every set yeah most definitely all right so let's talk about the winner of that tournament so that one was won by a mono red deck and uh you know every time we bring it up i got to talk about there's kind of that argument of mono red versus a Tarka red. And I'm starting to see the appeal of the mono red. I think I'm still on a Tarka being the overall better deck. And I think the overall better meta choice, or at least the overall, you know, it, it's, it's a good deck. I think that a Tarka red's a great deck. I think that there are times where I can see where mono red has some edges. Do you guys want to talk about that at all? I know we've been uh, arguing with among ourselves a little bit in the last week or so. Yeah. I personally, I mean, I've I've looked at it, and a lot of people talk about Shrapnel Blast being like a draw into mono red, right? White, right? With like, uh, with your artifact synergies that you have with like uh, Dark Steel Citadel and um, what's the Bomat Courier, um, mm-hmm. and like I can see it. Smuggler's Copter too is one that a lot of those decks play. But the reality is that, like, that's that's five damage for two mana, whereas, like, m- most often, like, in, like, your ceiling for a Tarka Red, you're getting, what is it, like, nine to twelve damage off of two mana, whereas, like, yeah, I mean, that's that's just a lot more burn straight to the face. So sure. on top of that, that, I also <clears throat> think that everything you can do in the mono red decks, you can mostly do in Atarka as well. Like the stuff that people want to do in the mono red decks, like Hazaret. And like you said, you could even play Shrapnel Blast in Atarka still. I don't think it's wise, but I think you could. 
Yeah, like you can run Bomat Curry over Soulscar Mage, and like so. Just to note, the specific mono red was not running Shrapnel Blast. That is something we have seen quite a bit, though. This one was going bigger with creatures. It's got three Goblin Rabble Master, which has fallen out a little bit. It's got four Hazaret in the main deck. It also has four Harsh Mentor and a couple of Carry Zev. So some of the bigger creatures, rather than just being a one drops and b token makers, which this deck is not running any of. Yeah, so it's a lot like the current standard mono red deck without rumming up runes, but this one has mm-hmm. this one still has rumming up <laughs> runes because it's legal here in So yeah, if you just uh if you just got rumming up runes, banned out a few in standard, this is a great deck to go to. Just add some Zergo Bell Striker as an upgrade in one drops. The uh, Monastery Swift Spear is always an upgrade in one drops. I think that not using the what is the other one? Rampaging Ferocidon? Oh, no, no, no. Soulscar Mage. Soulscar yeah. Mage. That's yeah. definitely an unusual twist. So he's really going bigger with this deck. It's kind of that almost big red. Got a one Chandra main deck as well as the four Hazaret. Uh, and so he does part have of the what four I Rampaging don't un- Ferocidon on the side. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, part of what I don't understand about this list is why he's running Goblin Rabble Master over some of the other three drops if he wants to go with like a big red deck without going wide. Because I think Rabble mm-hmm. Master does a lot better going wide and stacking up in damage with like a Targus Command and Stoke the Flames and whatnot. No, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think that Rabble Master doesn't need something like Hordling Outburst to make it good. If it's surviving for one turn, two turns, it's really going to do its. It's going to do more than enough on its own. And I've also personally, I've been kind of saying lately, like we've seen a little bit less Fatal Push. We've seen it slightly coming down. Maybe there's room for a creature-based deck like this to kind of come back with some mm. of those. I, I don't think it's there yet. I don't think it's there yet in my meta, but I'm going to take a look for that when we're looking through the rest of these Japanese lists. Yeah, I think that the the Japanese are a little bit more gun-shy on Fatal Push. I'm not sure <laughs> what that's all about, because it's definitely like raining hard as the most popular card in all of the untap Open League metagame. So. Yeah, yeah if, it's like if in we're 60% seeing a lot of, of decks... Yeah, it's really If we were seeing really more brutal. like UB, like the blue-black control decks, that would be a reason not to play Fatal Push, but I, I don't see those as much in Japan, so I, I'm not sure. Maybe the uh, maybe all these Marvel decks we're seeing is the reason why. Yeah, something else that I'm noticing, and I don't know if you guys are seeing it in this list, is that the uh, the amount of burn that's available in the spells is really limited. So... Hmm. Typically, a Tarker Red's going to run four Lightning Strikes and some number of Wild Slashes, and this is opting for four Abrade instead. So, it's it's really peculiar to me. I'm uh, I'm I'm getting more of like a throwback vibe to Raminop Red with some Goblin Rabble Masters. Yeah, maybe that was a choice from maybe he's a standard player that didn't really have the Lightning. Well, I guess they have Lightning Strike and standard too, so no real excuse there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I am looking through some of these other lists. The only other top eight from that specific tournament that had Fatal Push was a four-color control deck, as well as the Rally Combo deck, which had it in the sideboard. Yeah, so he just got to free-roll these guys with all of his little little deuterinos. <laughs> and looking like over the Japan list, I I do remember that a soul, in Soul Aggro is getting popular, or has always remained popular in Japan. So that mm-hmm. could be a it reason why he's has. running the four um, a braid over the lightning strikes. I suppose so, but it's tough to beat that if they're going for the actual um, the dark steel citadel and soul. That can be hard to beat with fatal push or with a braid. Yeah, definitely. But if he's going after like ornithopters and that kind of stuff, ghost fire blades. Yeah. 
That's true. You can't just uh, you can't just lightning strike one of them once it's got the insole on it. Yeah, like the perfect situation, like the the dream hand for uh, for insole wants to suit up its dark steel citadel to attack you with a five five indestructible, but that doesn't always pan out hmm. because it doesn't really have that much card draw. It's mostly a burn deck, so. Um, yeah, it, yeah, and that's a little slower than putting it on something like an Ornithopter or uh, honestly, some of the best starts from that deck I've been testing it a little bit lately is usually that Bomat Courier and then put one of those blades on it and just swing in for a, a big. You kind of want to get that clock going, and the fact that it doesn't have more cheap one drops like that to start aggressively attacking is really the drawback of that deck. So, looking through this player's history, it seems like he used to play a Tarka Red a lot. <laughs> So okay. this is definitely a meta call on his part to go with a big red type deck. Interesting. So this is uh, Arai Yusuke. Is anyone else noticing that there was also... Oh, okay. The The picture was just a little off. So there was also a teamer energy list in the top four here for this. Uh, mm. for this. And... and the uh, the same white red like Boros control list that we've been seeing creep up recently, which really reminds me a lot of uh, our friend Matt McTavish's uh, Mardu Super Friends deck. Yeah, and uh, red white control like that is something I've been saying for a while has been pretty good. I had tested it and thought that it wouldn't be good into the Emrakul meta that we were sort of anticipating last season, which is why I, I got off the list. But it, it has some cool powers, including. The ability to run Emrakul itself if it wants to. I'm also so scared to play any non-blue control deck against blue-based control decks. Yeah, most losing definitely. out on the counter wars is so scary. And also, like, not having the same access to card advantage is just really, really difficult for a control list. So, yeah, All right, definitely. let's take a look at another one of these uh, Japan lists, though. I've got the one here that was just from this month, is uh, from January 21st. This one was, uh, I don't see the total player list, but this one was won by Jeskai Agro, which is something that we've seen in Japan. We've talked about it. It's still apparently pretty good. <laughs> it hasn't much, had much success outside of Japan. And uh, the list I'm looking at here, also running Rebel Master. You know, they're uh, doubling down on that card. So it's got kind of the usual early creatures. It doesn't have... So this isn't like the real Flyers list, where it starts out with a bunch of 1-1 Flyers and just goes up in a attacks in the air. It's got Thraben Inspector to buy time for itself instead. It's got Selfless Spirit, Soulfire Grandmaster. So sort of that burn, chess guide deck. Really interesting list. Yeah, I've, I've been a big fan lately of the synergy between uh, Mantis Rider and Stoke the Flames. And this mm-hmm. looks like a, this looks like more of like a classic Jeskai tempo list. Like they're even running Jeskai Charm, which is something that we don't see very often in our format. And I really dig it. Like it, it looks like it's just trying to go wide and do the Atarka thing, but with a little bit more life gain. And one thing I've always liked about Jeskai Charm is its ability to beat an Ensouled Darksteel Citadel, which would make sense why it would be more popular in Japan, whereas we don't see as much Soul, and we don't see as much Jeskai. Yeah, and again, this is another tournament where they're very they're running very few fatal pushes. <clears throat> Um, Jesco is a deck that I tried out whenever I was going to try uh, Esper Vehicles originally, and I found the mana was a little clunky. But Always, yeah. Looking mm-hmm. at this guy's list, 
I think that he's done a pretty good job of keeping it mostly red-white, where I've seen a lot of the decks try to go uh, turn one Mausoleum Wanderer. Yeah, that's tough to do. I think yeah, that most might be definitely. a good call. So, personally, I think his list is a little bit heavy on three drops. He's got the three Rebel Master, the four Mantis Rider, the four Reflector Mage, and the three Spell Queller. And that is a problem I always find in Jeskai, is that they've got so many of those three drops we really want. On top of the ones listed here, I would also be happy to be playing Thalia. I mean, I'm never going to say no to Thalia. But (laughs) I don't think that this is... So we'll get to um, another one of these tournaments in a little bit, but I don't think that this is the kind of metagame where Thalia would be really critical. Where, like... Yeah, like, Thalia is awesome against, in my opinion, like, a Tarka Red and other go-wide strategies, as well as uh, Sahili Felidar. And we haven't seen a lot of Sahili combo from Japan recently, so... No, it has been very light, which is probably why they're moving towards things like a Braid, and it's working well. Yeah, most definitely. We see a lot of Marvel. We see, of course, as we've said a lot of times, Ensel, Artifact, and then, yeah, uh, these, like, rally lists, which makes Graveyard Hate really important. And, yeah, I could go on. But, like, Rally doesn't usually win with attacking, so um, Thalia doesn't really need to be there to win combat for you. All right, Kevin, so I've got a question here because I've heard it kind of go both ways. Do you actually think that Thalia is a good card into Mono Red or into a Tarka Red deck? Because I've seen some people saying, oh, they don't like it in the matchup. They take it out of their Abzan in sideboard games because... Wild Slash just takes care of it so easily out of those decks. Um, so the alternative would be upping your count of tireless trackers. Hmm. Which I find really inadvisable against decks that want to kill you fast. Like, tireless tracker is there to win the long game. And, um... So I, I end up bringing a little bit like my extra Jamoka's command oftentimes comes in against burn just because you get to use um, an extra mode on it that you don't against other decks. And then I bring in a couple of ration clerics and lately I've been boarding out my war kite marauders against it. But OK, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, yeah, it's a fairly easy thing to navigate but yeah i really like thalia in that matchup just because of all the haste creatures and it turns those off and especially if they're boarding in thalias like the the end game often ends up being or not if they're boarding in thalias if they're boarding in hazarets the end game Mm -hmm. often ends up being you know like um a struggle between reflector mage and thalia and hazaret so i've i've found it to be a very very good card against the tarka red so taylor what do you think I think that Kevin's mostly looking at it in the Bant Humans matchup. Maybe you have a little bit more experience with the Absan matchup or from your Esper Vehicles deck. Would you think that Thalia in those decks is a good card to have in post-board against Tatarka? So I think it really depends on the specific deck that Thalia is in. Like he was saying, in Bant or Esper Vehicles, I think Thalia is great against Tatarka. But then when you play a deck like Obzon that's much slower and you're just playing one spell a turn and you're not closing out the game really fast... I think you want to bring in your removal and your authority to consoles, virulent plagues, stuff like that, dresses. Because whenever you're just getting like your turn three taken away from you as Obzon, it's much, much bigger when you can't just start closing out the game or countering their spells or even just gaining life with Glorybound Initiate and Dromoka's Command. So it really just okay, is I the think context. that's a great point. Okay, that makes a lot of sense that if you're on a slower deck and 
I think the counterpoint to that might be that I think as the Atarka side of that matchup, I would probably be taking out some number of Wild Slash into things like Siege Rhino, but I can definitely see where even trading a Roast for a Thalia as their turn for play, and then just being able to swing through, that would really put you behind as the as the Abzan deck. I think it also depends on the build of Abzan once again, because my current build that I'm running in Season 4, I'm playing 4 Warden, 4 Elvish Mystic, 4 Scrap Heap Scrounger, and 2 Thalia. So that's mm-hmm. 10 hits off a of Wild Slash. And if you're playing like a more aggro deck like I am, I think that you should keep it in. But that's a very good point that you're bringing up as well. Okay, let's move on a little bit. Is there anything else from that tournament that we wanted to talk about? I think the only thing I really wanted to call out was um, we've had a couple more big Marvel deck finishes there. There was a second place as well as a fourth place finish on Marvel. And if you guys haven't looked into the kind of Japan version of Marvel, maybe we should do a little deck deck on it. But one thing that they're really big on is Search for Azkanta along with these Marvel decks, which is really interesting. It kind of uh, lets you fuel through your deck. It lets you find your Marvels. And it lets you uh, buy buy time in the late game when you might be otherwise just turning your wheels as those decks. Um, the weird thing I think here is that I usually like the Marvel also as a way to turn on your Emrakuls if you're going to hard cast them out of that deck. And he's actually, in the second place list, he's favoring Ulamog completely over Emrakul, which I think is a very strange choice. But I think we've said before that in these Japan metas, they tend to not want to get skip burned out by Atarka. They want to be able to take over the game with the Ulamog. He's also playing a World Breaker over an Emrakul, which I find interesting. I'm, I'd be curious to find out why that card specifically. Yeah, you know, it's a tough... I, I guess maybe he just thinks that he'll be able to hardcast it sooner than be able to hardcast an Emrakul, but personally, I like being able to hit Emrakul off of uh, Marvel. It's hard to lose when you do that turn four or turn five. It's really hard to go wrong with something gigantic off of... <laughs> Marvel like I I would consider even running like elder dinosaurs just for the memes because like (laughs) the point is that you you want to hit a finisher off of Marvel so like yeah the the Eldrazi Titans are like the biggest baddest thing that you can hit but like I I wouldn't knock someone for running world breaker and it's something that Tron runs in modern so definitely okay so looking back at the previous frontier cup the one before that one we were just talking about um, this one, it looks like it went five rounds, so it was a decent-sized number of players, but we don't have the exact number of participants. Uh, it was won by a Bent Humans deck, which is always great to see. Uh, it also... Let me see what else was interesting. From, so there are also a few other lists from that tournament that I could talk about, but do you want to... I, I see you itching to say something about ha- Bent Humans anytime it's brought up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely... Like, as, as much of a meta deck as it is, it's definitely my pet deck. And... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I definitely have a few things to say about this. One of the things that I find really intriguing is it's like mono four ups in the creature base. So <laughs> Yes, it is. He's going for that four tireless tracker we've been uh, kind of heralding as a great thing against some of the slower decks in the format. Yeah, most definitely. So like the four tracker is really cool. I'm not entirely sure I agree with running a full play set of Lamholt pacifists. I've been really, really soft on that card for the last, like, I don't know, five months or so. <laughs> And, like, um, yeah, it, I mean, it definitely does synergize with Thalia's Lieutenant and Jermoka's Command, and there are plenty of ways to get it into the the red zone. But mm-hmm. um, especially in like, a fast metagame like the one that we saw at this tournament, I, I just think it's really, really soft into red decks and um, decks that like combat. 
This also seems like it could be soft into other kind of the mid-range decks, something like an Atarka or another Bant Company, where it'd be nice to have some of the other options, like the uh, the, the two-drop flyer that we like now. Although this this was probably before Rivals. Um, yeah, I don't think that, that this was... Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't think that Warkite Marauder was printed by the time that this... Uh, Warkite Marauder. Yes, this was on the uh, the 7th, so no, it was not. As well as... um. What is the the two three that gives everyone flying? Is also a nice option for that. that kind awesome. of Abs and Falconer. Yeah, Abs yeah. and Falconer. That's always been a cool one. So he doesn't really have those mirror breakers. But I think you touched on a really uh, good when point when you're crushing our Tucker Red. You touched on a really good point with a Warcrate Marauder. I think moving forward, we're not going to see any Lamholt Pacifist over that card. The mm. application where Warcrate Marauder is just better than Lamholt Pacifist is almost uncountable. I can't think of very many matchups where I prefer Lamholt Pacifist. Yeah, most definitely. Warcraft Marauder is just such a huge beating, and like it's a massive tempo swing every time it hits the board, and people just get the sweats when they have to deal with it in <laughs> combat. Like it's it's amazing how many applications it has. And I was playing it in a collected company mirror the other day, and I turned off someone's only Sylvan Advocate. And Ooh. was able to steal their uh, their lumbering falls because they thought that they had a boost with it, and I was like, "So those are your blocks? All right, cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I'll live through that combat and take your lumbering falls, and that'll be that'll be my turn." Nice. Yeah. All right. Now I always like to hear about the uh, the fun plays. You guys have any other big plays from these last couple months? I haven't really uh, just gotten the time to you know shoot the shit and find out what's been good. <laughs> I've been on pretty boring mid-range decks lately, so <laughs> not a lot of blowouts from my side. Oh, that's no fun. Yeah, yours uh, are like, only... yo, I just had rolling rhinos. I just kept top decking rhinos and like <laughs> casting rhinos, attacking with rhinos. I plussed a Johnny one time and hit three rhinos. That's a thing that happened. <laughs> there you go. That's that's See, really that's awesome. a blowout. That's the blowouts I want to hear about. Hey guys, tweet us your blowouts. That would you that's what you should do. I want to hear about some more crazy plays. I think my only one lately was that time I was uh, kind of fooling around playing elves with that uh, Panharmonicon version, and I thought I had no outs. I was at, like, one. The opponent had a Siege Rhino and something else, and I had two Panharmonicons in play and nothing else, no cards, and I draw Elvish Visionary, draw three cards, get a the Dwinin's Elite, gets three dudes with him, tap them all for a uh, Court of Calling, end up doing 18 to them just off of like one top deck it was complete ball <laughs> all right cool well enough corner cases <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll go on we'll go back to some more uh, spiky stuff uh we had one more i think we just want to mention the one from uh end of december was also won by a just guys flyer deck so uh that, that like i said it's been a popular deck in japan so let's t- take a minute here we're already uh let's move on to some of our UOL stuff that we wanted to talk about. So we did. We never got a chance to really tell you guys about the top eight from uh, last season, as well as we now know what's going on for this season. So let's go over real quick what the uh, UOL season three top eight was, including uh, myself and uh, Taylor here. Yeah, I unfortunately had to knock you out. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good game. Um, so what we had, we had uh, Marty Tokens. Uh, as it was the eighth place finisher in the regular split. So uh, we actually, we might as well mention that uh, Kevin here was number nine. He would have been uh, right on the cusp there, but we... Uh, <sighs> My teammates don't know how to block for me. <laughs> <laughs> so we had that. We, ha- we had a Marty Tokens. We had an Esper approach deck, which is uh, something we've seen a little bit out of uh, 
We've seen some of those kind of Esper control decks running approach. We saw Jund Midrange, which uh, was the deck that I was running, as well as two Jund Delirium decks. Those were in third place and first place, respectively. So those were more of the Emrakul main deck, all in on getting to Emrakul and pretty much nothing else. Mine was a little bit more of grinding with tireless trackers and with uh, planeswalkers like uh, Liliana. So And then I also had the Emrakul option in the sideboard. Yeah, it was uh, just the one five, in the sideboard, right? Yeah, but uh, Traverse the Ovenwald, I had five of them in the sideboard, effectively. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, at number five, we had the Mono Black Eldrazi aggro deck we've seen quite a bit of, if anyone knows. Uh, our friend Clay. It, it's, yeah, Clayton our friend Cardinal. Clay. He, uh, he runs it everywhere. He does great with it. It's been a... Uh, we're starting to see other people play the deck, so uh, that's exciting for him. It's always nice to see an underappreciated deck start to get really played. Can we take a moment and talk about the deck real quick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I was, I've been thinking about this deck a lot just because he's in two of the three finals online right now, and he has potential mm-hmm. to be in all three of them. And so, yes, I, he will be playing in the finals um, shortly. We should hopefully have that uh, streamed, I think, on Sunday. Uh, yeah, he's playing in the untapped finals on Sunday. Ah, that's right. He was also playing in the, uh, the X-Mage finals by the time this goes live. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about his deck. I think he's a great player. I don't want to undersell him or anything. But I do think people are underrating this deck. I was thinking about in Modern how the Eldrazi aren't really coming down ahead of Curve anymore, but they're still seeing a lot of play. So you're still matching like your turn 3 like 5-5 five, five Death Shadows with a turn 3-5-5 five, five Reality Smasher. And I think comparatively yeah. in Frontier, you're not really playing any big creatures on turns four or five. You have like Siege Rhino and you have Hazaret and you have Glorybringer. But Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher is still going like head to head with all those, especially if you're taking away like a Glorybringer, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so being able to back all this up with the removal that he's gone to with these bigger Eldrazi decks recently, and then even like getting the opponent on the back foot with the aggro decks. I really do think that this deck has been really not only underrepresented, but underrated by the general population, myself included. And so moving forward, I really wouldn't expect, I mean, it really wouldn't be surprising if this stayed the entire format. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I think another big thing going for him, which is a little bit more meta specific, is that the removal doesn't line up well against his threats. So right now, the... Matter Shaper, there's just not a lot of exile removal that trades well with a three drop. And for, um, you know, we're not, we're not running those magma sprays like you might see in other formats. So, the Reality Smasher, what takes care of a 5 5 for 5 mana right now? Not a lot. Doesn't right. get hit by Fatal Push. Not only that, but it. like you can't, you can't, uh, like, unless you're running Crackling Doom, you have to target mm-hmm. it and then you have to discard a card from your hand. Like, it's, it's really impressive in that regard. And he's running some crazy lands, too. They give him a <laughs> yeah. lot of value. Like Mirror Pool, to be able to copy his Reality Smashers or his Thought Not Seers. He almost got uh, me with an Endless Sands. Something. Yeah, um, so Endless, endless sands, sands lets him tuck away like a Thought Not Seer and then replay it on the next turn. It's uh, it's really, really cool. He tried to tech me with it when I played him in the <laughs> uh, in round one of the current season. And even when he's not doing that, if he's able to, like, exile his Gaunty and get multiple Gaunty triggers... Oh, late God, Gaunty's like, such matchups. a beating, yeah. And even with Mirror Pool, like, just being able to cast spells, able to two-for-one your other mid-range opponents. Yeah, I know he's also interested in that new Arch of Orzaka, I think it is, that'll possibly let him draw cards once he has the City's Blessing. Yeah. 
He uses Kalidus really well in that deck too, so he ends up exiling a lot of things just with his fatal pushes. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's just a really impressive deck, really awesome mid range options, and uh, yeah, he gets a lot of surprising value out of it. And he recently moved to like a more, I want I don't want to say controlly because it still is just a really mid rangey deck, but he took out the Reaver drones and the Bearer of Silences, which I think is a big big plus like for the Eldrazi deck. I agree. I think that was a good move for him. I think that getting some of those hand removal main deck is another advantage that the deck has, and getting rid of some of those awkward early plays with the Endless Ones, the Reaver Drones, that don't do a lot in certain matchups makes it a stronger deck overall. It's just very smart of him to tech against the mid-range decks, because I think that is where the problem was, with more aggro versions, and his more mid-range version might be the best mid-range deck moving forward. I really want to see how this plays out. <laughs> All right, I'm interested. Uh, we should do some more testing at it, I think, between ourselves. We could Definitely. probably we could probably also have him on. I mean, he's been in the top cut of so many different leagues. It would probably be worthwhile to have him on as a guest. All right, so if you're yeah, listening, I think he's only one. Let us know if you want to jump in, or maybe we should challenge him to win the uh, win the whole thing first. <laughs> <laughs> right. True. But uh, what we did miss here, there was a blue black control deck, which is a nice classic for the UOL top eight, and of course Esper vehicles. I think yep. Esper Vehicles is great. I've done a lot of videos. I've written a lot of articles for it, so I don't want to go too in-depth on it, but it's still a great deck. All right, so I'm going to move on to the last thing we really want to talk about today, and that's what Season 4 is looking like. So we got deck lists out. You know, it was a lot of sort of expected decks. I don't think there were any big standouts that I've seen so far that make me say, wow, that's a big change in the meta. I also haven't seen anything like, oh, man, everyone's playing Emrakul or everyone's playing Sahili. that would make me really worried. So a good mix of decks, a uh, handful of mid-range, a handful of aggro. We, we've actually got a full article on this kind of out already, so we can uh, link to that. But we'll, would you guys want to talk a little bit about what we're seeing in Season 4 as well as what we're playing ourselves? Uh, go ahead, Kevin. Cool. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> there are six Abzan lists and six blue-black X control lists. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it really speaks to like what is working in the metagame right now. I expected to see a lot more Marvel in Sahili because um, that tends to be what has a very good matchup against the Delirium decks that dominated last season. And um, yeah, it's it's just a, it's it's been an interesting thing to watch develop because usually control has a really difficult matchup against Jundelirium and it ends up being a race between Scarab God and Emrakul. And it's, it's been an interesting thing to observe because they've found a lot more, um, main deckable answers, like one that our friend Noah brought into popularity is Blighted Fen, which Mm -hmm. allows you to edict their Emrakul when it is their only, like, uh, their only onward threat. So, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And then on the flip side, I'm going to let Taylor actually talk a little bit as he was one of the people who tested, uh, the team blue black, uh, Abzan list the most. So I'll let, I'll let you go on about that, Taylor. Yeah, I think this Obzon deck is probably the strongest Obzon build that we've had so far in the format because it keeps that really aggressive start, at least my version does. 
while also sideboarding into a really grindy uh, deck against the Delirium decks, the Blue-Black Control, and then it has a bunch of discard and infinite obliterations for combo decks and Marvel, which were its other bad matchups. I still wouldn't say they're good by any means, how I would with the control matchups. They're still 50-50 at best, but I think it's a lot closer than they used to be. And then taking it further, uh, Kevin Finkel, you actually innovated the deck a little more where you teched it toward aggro, because I made it really weak toward aggro compared to how it used to be. And you're playing... Yeah, the, I wasn't strong ahead. on the Scrap Heap Scrounger. I tried a lot of different two-drops. You know, I tried a lot of different two-drops, and many of them kind of passed the way. The one that I was very strong on, I liked Gifted Aetherborn quite a bit. I thought that it blocked really well into some of the mid-range decks. It attacked really well into decks that just can't really stop it and just runs over aggro with all the life gain. So I ended up having to tweak mine a little bit to be more black-friendly to be able to play that. But otherwise, I was mostly is, on the same kind of list that you guys were on. There is one two-drop that I wanted to try that I don't think I had enough time to test it fully. I think Paladin of Atonement from Rivals of Ixalan. Oh, God, that card's so good. I've been playing that in draft and sealed. I did try it. I, I didn't get very far with it, but uh, I, I did give it a little bit of a try. With Painlands, Fetches, and then stuff like Shefit Dunes and... Uh, uh, what is the black one that puts two minus one minus one counters? Uh, if yeah, near dead lands. Yeah. Mm. Just access to all those pain lands, which would normally hurt you a lot in Obzon, I think now has extra utility where it's not only helping you get your black mana, which has traditionally been a problem with Obzon, but now that you have this creature that's also good against the, the more aggressive decks... And even against the mid-range decks, because really quickly you can get that to like a 4-4 within two turns, just like a fetch and a pain land. I do so think it's worth testing. is that we should be playing first response, right? <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about this card just because it is a nice little anecdote in Magic History. It is a 4-drop from M15 that if you lost life last turn at the upkeep, so each upkeep, if you lost life last turn, you get a 1-1 soldier token. So they, when they had originally been testing this, they were oh. trying it as a 2-drop, and it was just completely taking over games. It was printed in the same area as the Pain Lands, so they were very easy to use. And part of why they pushed Siege Rhino so much is because they were trying to break this meta of first response tokens. So they were like, oh yeah, we needed to have Trample so we can get through all those little 1-1s everywhere. And then they end up being like, no, we need to nerf this card. They put it up to a four drop where it was completely unplayable, never saw any play at all. Yeah, that's a crazy story because Seedrun was essentially just a worse Loxone Smiter at that point. And mm -hmm. they had Liliana um, of the Veil in that set too. I forgot about that. And they had Seedrun to combat Liliana. So it was like that three card rock, paper, scissors almost. Definitely. All right, but anyways, Liliana of the Veil was in uh, Magic 2015. She yeah, originally they were she was printing her. Oh wow! <laughs> that they would ended have... up instead going for uh, what is it, Liliana Vest, which is not a great card. Yeah, Unplayable. I wanted to call out Matt. I think uh, I think last time Matt's like, oh yeah, Huatli's the worst um, planeswalker in Frontier. I don't think that's true. I don't think he's remembered some of those M15 planeswalkers. Like uh, Jace Bellerin, I think it is. Garrick Wildspeaker. Oh, oh no, um, even worse. <laughs> or Jace Apex than Predator. Jace Bellerin. Yeah. Oh, what is that one? Is it a uh, Jace? It's not Architect of Thought. Which Jace is it in M15? Unraveler of Secrets? No, that's uh, that's more. <laughs> <recent. laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's so forgettable. None of us remember that it. Shadows I mean, over Innistrad. It's, it's Living Guild Pack. Telep- is yes. It? Oh, Guild yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably a worse card than Watley, but uh, that might be the worst. We'll call him out when he's actually on the show. So, all right, guys, this has been uh, fun. Anything else you guys want to talk about about the season four meta? Is it kind of just um, sort of the expected decks we'd like to see? A little bit of um, you know some of those pocket decks we're seeing two Black Eldrazi decks. We're seeing two Bant Godfaro's Gift deck. We are seeing a little bit of Sahili, a little bit of Marvel. I think it's a nice variety. Yeah, it's a nice round metagame. So I don't think anyone broke it, but I think that a lot of us had really good decks that we tuned. And That's a great way to put it. I don't yeah. think that anyone is breaking the meta. I'm really surprised Although, that Jundelirium didn't show up personally. Hmm. It kind of had its coming out party last uh, last season, and then it even top aided twice. And then we're seeing zero copies in this season. Yeah, it's really interesting that, to see people who were on control against Jundelirium last season still on control because a <laughs> lot of those folks really hated the Jundelirium matchup, so I think they were confident that we wouldn't be bringing it again. Yeah, I thought that was a surprise. I think that some people were expecting, oh, everyone is on Jundelirium. Let's assume that people are going to hate it out, or they did bring hate themselves. And then maybe some people next level, they're like, well, if no one's playing Jundelirium now, let's just play Control again. That'll be good. <laughs> so we ended up with more Control than, personally, I thought we were going to. My deck, uh, my version of Abzan is definitely worse against the Control matchup because of some of those changes. We're also seeing very little Atarka Red, which is the best aggro deck. I don't think that's even arguable at this point. I don't think it's debatable, no. And it barely came up with four copies. Yeah, that I mean, that's still maybe third or fourth most played deck, but that True. is very few. All right, guys, that uh, that's reaching towards the end of the show. So I did want to mention that uh, that top eight ones, that top eight stream that we're going to be having on Sunday, if I've got that right. I think uh, Taylor's the one in charge of this here. Oh, am I? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. All right, we'll, we'll make sure to tweet it out. <laughs> you know, we've been doing some streams of these top eights. Um, a lot of them are already up on YouTube if you want to go and check those out. They've been pretty sweet. Um, as far as uh, our upcoming show, anything you guys want to specifically talk about? You know, we, uh, we're st- kind of, sort of caught up now on what we needed to talk about. We can go back to talking about colors. We can talk about some of the new options that have come out of Rivals. Anything big you guys are looking for? I'd love to talk about blue. <laughs> Get back to those color series. Yeah, I think that's a great series we started. I really enjoyed our episode on white, so we can uh, move into that. Um, but anyways, guys, it's been a lot of fun. I'm going to start wrapping us up a little bit. Um, as always, just reach out and contact us. We want to hear what you guys want to hear about. We want to hear about your crazy plays of the week, your best curve outs, whatever you got. But we're uh, at MTG Frontier on Twitter, MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram, and we've got our Reddit MTG Final Frontier. There's also the Discord there. And guys, you can also tweet directly at me on Twitter. I'm at SkyBurial. Absolutely. I've got a, uh, a Twitter, and uh, I don't use it much. I kind of just retweet our own stuff, and that's about it. <laughs> but I, I bet I can link that out there if anyone's a fan. Yeah, I have a Twitter, too, but it's not magic-related, so just skip it. <laughs> <laughs> right, I love your Twitter, dude. It's one of my favorite things every day. <laughs> Thank you. All right, guys, this is a lot of fun. Uh, but for everyone out there, we look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier Information Online. Your final Frontier, signing off. Mm-hmm.